Today is, as you know, Sanctity of Human Life Day, as Ronald Reagan coined it in 1984, which coincides with the Supreme Court's 1973 Roe v. Wade decision on the issue of abortion. In light of that, we are taking a one-Sunday break from our study in Philippians to look at Paul's words in another letter that he wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. And here is the question that I hope to answer as we study this passage together. How should we live in a country that is so radically indifferent to or supportive of on-demand abortion? A very practical question, I think, for many of us Christians who are interested in the answer. How should we live in a country that is so radically indifferent to or supportive of on-demand abortion? So I want all of you to know that in Preparing for this sermon, I have tried my best to consider all of you and all seasons and stages of life and struggle represented here today. I know many of you have had an abortion or abortions or you have consented to them. And I want you to be encouraged today, not discouraged I also know that we have children here with us. I don't want parents unnecessarily uncomfortable, unworried, or, or worried about the, the content to come. So I would, I would give this sermon a rating of PG. Okay, I've, I've, done my, I've done my best with that. But before I preach this sermon, and we seek to, to answer that question with Paul's help, we should pray together. Will you please bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it. We know that our minds will be dark and our hearts will be cold without you. So send your Holy Spirit, we pray, in us. Give us light and heat. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So please open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you, you'll find that on page 635. Ephesians 5, 1 through 16. And once you're there, let's take these a few verses at a time. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, first, who is Paul talking to here? Look at verse one. Beloved children. So who are God's children? Is everyone 
a child of God? People might say that. Christians might say that, might believe that, that everyone is a child of God. Well, let me read to you John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him, this is Jesus, to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So according to John, the children of God are those who have received Jesus. The children of God are those who have believed in his name. Those who receive and believe in Jesus, in other words, those who have placed their faith in Christ, are then adopted into God's family and they become his what? His children. Place our faith in Christ, receive Jesus, believe in his name. We are then adopted by God into his family. We become children of God. So for those of us who are Christians, we were a child. But now, following our adoption in Christ, we are his child. So one of the ways of describing what has happened to you as a Christian is you have gone from being a child to God's child. And we're brought in to sit with him at his table. Now, following adoption. As his children. Here we are. Paul said in Ephesians chapter one, verse five, he predestined us. For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So just so we understand this, if you are a Christian, you have become a child of God. You were not born a child of God, but you have been adopted into God's family. And what Ephesians 1, 5 tells you is that God decided to adopt you before you were born. It tells you actually that God decided to adopt you before he created the universe. And according to verse 1, look back with me. Here we are as children of God. What are we to do? We are to, what does Paul say, be imitators of God. And how are we to be imitators of God? Verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul says we must walk in love. What kind of love? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So I would submit that this is the first answer to our question. This is a first answer to our question. Let me remind you of the question. How, Christians, how should we live? 
in this day? How should we live in this time? We must walk in love. A Christian must walk in love. Walk for Paul is a synonym for live. When he says walk this way, he means live this way. Walk in love. Live in love. A Christian ought to be characterized by love. If a Christian is known for anything, a Christian should be known for his or her love. The example, the bar is pretty high that Paul gives. The example of how we are to love is Christ dying that we may live. That's a a bar set so high. That's our example. Well, how should I love? Just, just how loving do I need to be? And Paul's answer is like Jesus. Who gave himself up so that others might live. So we're being called here to voluntarily die to yourself so that others may live. Not coerced, not pressured, not forced, but voluntarily. To voluntarily die to ourselves, to my wants, to my desires, to my plans, to my agenda. Why? So that others may live out of love. That call to love that Paul is describing, that call to voluntarily die so that others might live is the opposite of abortion. It is an opposite of abortion when others are killed so that one might live the way they want to. It's a high calling. How should we live? How should we live in our context? We should, Paul says, walk in love. We should be willing to give up whatever out of love for others. We are to be like our Father, be imitators of God who has dearly loved us. So we are dearly loved children, dearly loving children. This is the call of love. We are dearly loved children, dearly loving children. Now, Paul shifts gears in verse 3. He's going to speak negatively, right? Don't do this. Stop that. Avoid this before he gives a positive instruction again. So let's begin reading this negative instruction in verse 3. 
But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That is a strong warning. And Paul makes it stronger as he goes on. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the immorality, the impurity, the covetousness, the idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So here's Paul's negative instruction, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord, Paul says. You are different. You are not the same man. You are not the same woman. You have been changed. You are a new creation. Don't live that way anymore. Live in a new way. You were in darkness, Paul says. And one day you came to the light. And it's amazing what he says. And you became light. You came to the light that is Jesus. And you became light. He says, now you are light in the Lord. And now here's Paul's positive instruction. And it is the second answer to our question. Listen to verses 8b through 10. Walk, there's that word again. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing To the Lord. Okay, Paul. How should we live in a country that is so radically indifferent to or supportive of on-demand abortion? Paul is saying we should walk in love. We should walk in love. And now we should walk as children of light. And light, Paul tells us, refers here to all All that is good and right and true. Do what is good and right and true. Stand for what is good and right and true. Please speak up, Paul is saying, for what is good and right and true. We should walk as children of light who please the Lord by doing what is good and right and true. Not only that. Here is something else light does. Look at verses 11 through 14 with me. Here's something else light does. Take no part 
in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. In this day, in this age, where we as Christians are mourning and grieving and praying in light of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. How are we supposed to live, God? What do you expect from us, God? What does it look like to be a faithful Christian right now? In 2018, in California, in light of what's happening around us, we should walk in verses 11 through 14. We should walk as children of light who expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Verse 11. Take no part. In the unfruitful works of darkness. He's really already said that. But instead. Here's the instruction. Expose them. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. Don't downplay it. Don't cover for it. Don't dismiss it. Don't avoid it. That's not what expose means. So according to Paul, there are at least two meanings, two meanings to walking as children of the light. We should please the Lord by doing and standing for what is good and right and true. And we should expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Let's take those one at a time. The second one will spend more time than on the first. Because I think. I think we understand the calling of the first one better than we understand the second. And I think by and large, Christians are more active with number one than they are with number two. Maybe not. But number one, please the Lord. It's what it means to be a child of the light. Please the Lord by doing what is good and right and true. Paul is saying, walk that way. Live that way you are light in the Lord and the fruit of the light, Paul says, is all that is good and right and true. Matthew in his gospel in the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 14, says something very similar to Paul here. Matthew says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We must please the Lord by doing what we know is good and right and true. But secondly... 
Paul says, expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Christians are called as light, not only to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but to expose them. Light, think about this. You know what he means and how this works. Light exposes dark. Light exposes whatever is in the dark. In the dark, things are not seen for what they really are. Which is why there are so many. Please understand that I'm not saying, and that I, I would never say, that everyone who sees these things differently, sees these things differently because they are committed to evil. I don't think that. I think that when I was and when you were in darkness, you didn't see straight. And you didn't see things for what they really were. But when we open up God's word and we're faithfully committed to it, it is a light that casts its light anywhere and everywhere. And it shows us what's really happening here. What's really taking place here. It shines that light in your own soul first and on the world around you. So here we are being called to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. And I would have to say that abortion is the most obvious unfruitful work of darkness today that is not seen by so many for what it really is. Expose the unfruitful works of darkness. So there's an important question we have to ask ourselves. And this applies to so many issues and so many areas and places where where you struggle and where you sin and spots where I struggle and where I sin. Do you do I? Do we really want to see unfruitful works of darkness exposed. Do we really want the floodlight turned on? It's easy to say, isn't it? On, I want it turned on over there. Let's put the light on over there. But as a Christian, are you committed to the sin in your own heart being exposed? Just how committed are we? I hope this isn't just political. Just how committed are we as Christians in our devotion to exposing the unfruitful works of darkness? Do we pray for that? Do we pray that we collectively as a nation would be enlightened? 
receive light. So let me just spend a few moments. Here's how I'm looking at what I'm going to do for the next page or so in my notes. Let me just spend a few moments being obedient to this calling to expose unfruitful works of darkness. So what I'm about to say is, I believe, exposing unfruitful works of darkness. We live, and you know this, we live in a country whose Supreme Court decided on January 22nd, 1973, that the taking of unborn human life is constitutionally protected up until the moment of birth. That's the reality of what happened on January 22nd, 1973. Then, Justice Harry Blackman, who wrote the majority opinion for the court, he said, quote, we need not, we need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. Now, as I reread that this week, and I'll read you the rest of what he said, he said, as a basis for their decision, we need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. That was very interesting for me to read that again because there really is scientific consensus on that point today. Life begins at conception. And that is not, that is not being denied anymore. Not even by scientists. Not even by feminists. I quoted some of those in our series on godly womanhood. That point is not denied. Yet then he seemed uncertain of when life begins. When those, he said, trained in the respective disciplines of medicine, philosophy, and theology are unable to arrive at any consensus. That was interesting to me because I believe there's quite a consensus today. But then there was not. When there's no consensus, the judiciary, at this point in the development of man's knowledge, here we are so many decades later, man's knowledge has increased greatly. But at this point, he said, in the development of man's knowledge is not in a position to speculate. So what he just did is he went from, we do not know whether this is protectable human life to, therefore, we will not protect it. What a leap. Justice Rehnquist wrote in the dissenting opinion, the the disagreeing opinion, the minority opinion of the court. The court apparently values the convenience of the pregnant mother more than the continued existence and development of the life, and he even said, or potential life, which she carries. I, Justice White writing, can in no event join the court's judgment Because I find no constitutional warrant for imposing such an order of priorities on the people and legislature of the states. Which is exactly what happened. An order of priorities was engraved into law. So since that decision, again, I'm looking to expose unfruitful works of darkness. Since that decision, roughly 60 million abortions have taken place just in America. Just in the first 21 days of this year, Planned Parenthood has performed roughly 17,000 abortions. California, to my knowledge, has the fewest restrictions on abortion legally possible at this point. 
Maybe New York has less. I, I'm not sure. But there's no waiting period, no mandated counseling, no parental notification or consent needed, no written materials given or offered. It's publicly funded, which is why roughly one in four pregnancies end in abortion in our state. This past week, I watched a, a news report. I think it was about six months old. You can find it. It was by CBS. And it was about the, some of you have seen this, it was about the effects of prenatal screening tests on the birth rate of children with Down syndrome in Iceland. I was horrified, I'm just horrified, to hear that roughly 100% of mothers who receive a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome in Iceland choose to abort their children. 100%. The report actually boasted that Iceland was on the verge of eradicating Down syndrome births in their country. So just, just think for a minute about what happens when we don't see clearly and how we can publish opinions of what we think is happening and not see the truth. Down syndrome is not being eradicated in Iceland. Children with Down syndrome are being eradicated in Iceland. That should be so clear. Uh, in this report, they, they interviewed one couple who smiled as they recounted their experience. After having their child killed, they were offered a priest to help them say goodbye. And the practice of this hospital, it's the only hospital in all of Iceland where pregnancies are terminated, the practice of this hospital was to give the couples a keepsake. They gave them a keepsake. They called it a prayer card. And at the very bottom of the card were a set of tiny, real, stamped footprints. As a keepsake. To remember the child they lost. I was just, I was sitting in this room right on the other side of this wall, just crying. Just crying. Just pausing it to, to just think and cry for a minute and then, and then restarting it. It's taking 20 minutes to get through a, a seven minute video. The hospital's counselor said she counsels women whose children who have a chromosomal abnormality this way. And I quote what, what her counsel is. This is your life. You have the right to choose how your life will look like. We don't look at abortion as a murder. We look at it as a thing that we ended. We ended a possible life that may have had a huge complication preventing suffering for the child and for the family. 
And I think that is more right than seeing it as a murder. That's so black and white. Life isn't black and white. Life is gray. They came to a point in the report where they interviewed the bishop of the Church of Ireland, a Christian church. And I, uh, I, I expected her as a professing Christian to expose this unfruitful work of darkness. I thought, I'll have some breathing room in this report. But instead, she proudly asserted the church had made no official statement regarding abortion. And then I kid you not, smirked as she acknowledged there was only a small, quote, invisible group of opposers within the church. You can watch it for yourself. So let me let me pause here. This is so heavy because it is heavy. What I'm seeking to do, remember, is expose unfruitful works of darkness. We are called to walk as children of light. But remember, we are also called to walk in love. So as I think Pastor Jeff made clear in his prayer, I also want to just as loudly declare the reality of forgiveness and hope to most likely dozens of men and women in this church who have either had abortions or approved of abortions. To just as loudly declare forgiveness and hope through Jesus Christ. In fact, a small note, if, if you have had an abortion, whether it was recently or decades ago, and you are in need of support, please reach out to Sierra Pregnancy and Health. Tricia Lewis, the director, who is a member here, they offer after-abortion support. If you need that, if you haven't done that, make sure and reach out. Hear the climactic words of the Apostle Paul heralded to sinners like you and me in Acts thirteen thirty eight. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So there is forgiveness. All sins wiped away. All sins wiped away. Even abortion. And there is justification. The declaration of righteousness over against every kind of sin you have ever committed. And all this because Jesus came. Lived. Suffered died, rose again in the place of sinners like you and like me. So that sinners like you and like me could be reconciled to God. John Piper says this, the gospel teaches us 
how to live, but it also rescues us when we fail to live the way we are supposed to. This is the call of the gospel and the comfort of the gospel. Finally, we have two more verses. And one more answer to our question. Look at verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians 5. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. There's that word again. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So let's put these together. How should we live in a country that is so radically indifferent to or supportive of on-demand abortion? Number one, we should walk in love. Number two, we should walk as children of light, pleasing God by doing what is good and right and true and exposing unfruitful works of darkness. And number three, we should walk as wise. We need wisdom. We need wisdom to know how to love. We need wisdom to know how to be light. When do I speak? What do I say? How do I say it? What should I do? How should I do this? This all requires wisdom. We need God's help. And so in conclusion, here are a few practical ways, and there are so many more. This is not an exhaustive list of how you can apply this sermon. This is just five things. But here are five ways you can apply this sermon. Here are five practical ways you can wisely walk in love as light. That's what we want to do. We want to wisely walk in love as light. Maybe there'll be something here you're not doing or some things here you're not doing, but you could. So number one, you knew it would be pray. Pray. Prayer is the greatest work. The greatest use of our time. The most powerful use of our time. We must pray. Pray for the end of abortion. Pray for the end. Pray for those you know who have had abortions. Pray for those faced today with a, an unplanned pregnancy. Pray for our nation. Pray for our legislators. Pray. There are so many things we could pray for here. And there are so many ways that we could pray. When we think about the darkness around us, does it motivate us to pray?
I hope we don't just complain. I hope we don't just whine. I hope we pray. I think it's the most important thing we could do. Number two, tomorrow on our church's blog, which is posted on Facebook, um, Nick will post an article for me, not written by me, but an article called Three Things the Pro-Life Movement Needs to Do to Stop Abortion. So number two, read that article. It's, it's really short, and it may say something you haven't heard or thought of before, but it's excellent and helpful. Three things the pro-life movement needs to do to stop abortion. It was put out a few months ago by Crossway. So, number two, I encourage you to read that article and think about what it says. Number three, consider adoption. You probably knew I would mention this. Having adopted twice, consider adoption. I do, my wife and I wholeheartedly believe as adoption becomes a more normal part of family planning in this country, abortion will decrease. We wholeheartedly believe that. Now, it's not the answer. That's not the solution. That's not all there is to it. And there's so many other angles that need to be taken, which I will mention. But as adoption becomes a more normal part, not plan B's, Though I love adoption as plan B. But as adoption becomes a more normal part of family planning in this country, abortion will decrease. A woman may find herself in an unplanned pregnancy, but as adoption normalizes, may she know that her unplanned child fits perfectly into the plan of a couple who loves Jesus and loves children. That more women would know that. Some pregnancies I know aren't just unplanned as much as they're unwanted. Some women simply don't want a child, so through adoption, join us in declaring that there, there just is no such thing as an unwanted child. Someone wants this child. It is beautiful, more beautiful than just about anything, speaking from firsthand experience. Nothing we have found compares to this experience in this world yet. How beautiful it is when a child becomes your child. He or she was a child, and now he's my child. And now she's my child. And don't forget, this is what this reflects. Who were you before God saved you? You were a child. Who were you after God saved you? His child. Number four. 
I need to do so much better at this. Speak up. Become more vocal in your opposition to abortion and your promotion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please do both. Please do both. But may we become more vocal in our opposition to abortion, be outraged over this, and equally vocal of our promotion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So maybe first you need more education. Maybe this sermon was helpful to an extent. I would encourage you to educate yourself, your children, and the people you know about the history and the nature and the effects of abortion and the pro-life movement. I would start by pointing you to Sierra Pregnancy and Health, sierraph.org, sierraph.org. Or you can go to a website like Abort73, lots of information there. Or a new favorite of mine, the Life Training Institute, which is committed, among other things, to training young people to grow up and become active legal contributors in our society, fighting this battle where where so many of us just can't fight it. And finally, number five, serve or support pro-life ministries like, of course, Sierra Pregnancy and Health. There's many others. Look them up online. We have the baby bottles here. Take them home. Fill them up with change or cash or $1,000 checks and bring them back. Also, I know Pastor Jeff mentioned their fundraising dinner here in Roseville over by the Galleria on February 22nd. Buy ticket, buy tickets, go to the dinner, get informed yourself, get encouraged yourself, get emboldened yourself, maybe bring others so that they could have the same experience. Millions of people. I think about Christ Church this morning right now. Millions of people and thousands of churches are collectively mindful today of the preciousness of human life. I think that's a good and sweet thing. And Lord willing, God will use days like this and organizations like the ones we have mentioned in his church to change the minds and hearts and conscience of people. It is an obligation, one I fall short of, to defend the defenseless. And while abortion is not the only way we violate the sanctity of human life, we would have to say it is the most significant, in this country at least, in terms of human lives affected. So, in closing, may we, with Paul's help, walk in love. May we walk as children of light. And may we walk wisely. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. I do thank you for days like this where we can come together and apply 
your gospel to something tragic that is taking a place as we speak on a global scale. God, but we know, we know that days like this are not enough. We know that, that, that days like this don't mean anything if your people don't walk in love, walk as children of light, standing for what is good and right and true and exposing unfruitful works of darkness in love and with wisdom. So help us, God, because as you know, we are prone to turn a blind eye. We are prone to get caught up in other things and forget the responsibility that we have as your children and citizens of this great country. So God, teach us, we pray, convict us, we pray, embolden us, we pray, and may things begin, even right now in this room, that will create shockwaves that will glorify you for decades to come. And we pray these things hopefully and confidently because of who you are and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen.